Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm going off the rails on a crazy train edition as we look back at one of the craziest, nuttiest, wildest games in Bengals history. Unfortunately, one that did not have a happy ending as Green Bay beat the Bengals in overtime 25-22. to Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know the pride of Parkston, South Dakota, Bengals offensive lineman, Riley Reef. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. You can download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the latest Joe Burrow mic'd up segment. The Bengals quarterback was wired for sound by NFL Films in the Jacksonville game, and the results were exactly what you would expect. Awesome. If you haven't watched it yet, just go to Bengals.com and click the video section. Then scroll down until you see Miked Up, Listen to Joe Burrow. After listening, don't be surprised if you randomly yell out, You can't zero me! in the days and weeks to come. Now, let's get to Sunday's roller coaster ride. Aaron Rodgers entered the game 0-2 at Paul Brown Stadium with losses in 2009 and 2013, and the three-time MVP got off to a slow start on Sunday. Rodgers back to pass, forced to scramble to the right, running toward the near sideline, fires one downfield, intercepted by Chidabea Wuje, running up the sideline to the 40, toward the middle of the field, to the 50, the Packers 45, and gets tackled at the Green Bay 42 by offensive lineman Billy Turner. Chidabay Awuje picking off a pass intended for Devontae Adams and running it back into Green Bay territory. The Bengals weren't able to take advantage of the INT, but the next time they got the ball, they got on the scoreboard. Joe back at the nine in the shotgun. First and goal from the four. Burrow extends the hands, catches the ball, looks to pass, fires, caught by P. Ryan. Touchdown, Bengals, as he peeled out to the right caught it around the two, and took it past the pylon for the touchdown. It was 7-0 Cincinnati at the end of the first quarter, but Rodgers answered with a 75-yard touchdown drive. Second and 10 from the Cincinnati 12. Rodgers stomps the right foot, catches a shoulder-high snap, throws left, Uh. caught by Dillon, tight ropes the sideline, hits the pylon, touchdown, Green Bay. Uh, lost, Lost coverage on Dillon. A.J. Dillon's 12-yard grab made it 7-6, and it stayed 7-6 when Mason Crosby missed the extra point. Crosby made a 44-yard field goal on the Packers' next drive to give Green Bay a 9-7 lead, and late in the half, that lead grew when Rodgers aimed for his favorite target. Aaron Jones lined up behind Aaron Rodgers. Tightly bunched formation. Rodgers throws it into the end zone, and it is caught. No, the ball pops out late. The touchdown signal is given. Adams with the catch. Trey Wayne's in coverage. After Adams went out of bounds, the ball popped out, but the official there threw up his arms to say touchdown. Devontae Adams, the NFL leader in receptions going into the game, finished with 11 catches for a career high, 
206 yards. Here's Awuje and what the Bengals did to try to stop Rodgers to Adams. Everything. No, <laughs> no we tried a lot of things. Um, obviously, great players, great connection between those two. Um, we had some roll coverages. We had some double coverages. We had some singled-up coverages. Um, we had quarters. We had man. We had zones. We had, we had everything. The touchdown pass made it 16-7 to with 67 seconds left in the half. Plenty of time for Burrow to answer. 50 seconds left, shotgun snap to Burrow. Good protection, he's looking, he's looking. Scrambling right, still looking. Burrow is gonna step into a deep ball. Fires downfield for Chase. Yeah! Caught! He yeah! goes at the 20, Baby! the 10, the Woo! five. Touchdown! Oh, yeah. Bengals! Joe Burrow waited and waited and waited and eventually delivered a strike to Jamar Chase for a touchdown with 36 seconds left in the half, 70 yards from Burrow to Chase. It was Jamar's fifth touchdown in five NFL games. Scramble drill, something we work on at practice. Um, ended up happening in the game. I seen Joe run out to the other side of the field. I just kept my eyes on Joe and ran to the other side like he did. How tough was that to haul that in? Because it looked like it almost went right by his hand. Did he touch it at all when he came uh, I don't think he touched that at all, to be honest. It went straight through his his arms, um, just like a distraction drill, really. Chase finished with six catches for a career-high 159 yards, and the Bengals trailed 16-14 at the half. After winning the coin toss and deferring for the ninth consecutive game, the Bengals got the ball to begin the third quarter. They had scored on their first drive of the second half in every game this season. But that streak ended versus Green Bay. Joe Mixon back in at running back. They Ooh. fake a toss sweep to the left. Burrow in trouble. Flings it downfield oh, no. and it is intercepted. Ah. He was trying to float it down inside the 20 for Auden Tate. And Adrian Amos, the Packers safety, intercepts and goes down at the 17-yard line. The Packers turned that pick into points. A 44-yard field goal by Crosby gave Green Bay a 19-14 lead going to the fourth quarter. The Packers were on the verge of going up by two scores as they had it first and goal at the six. But the Bengals defense got a stop, forced Crosby to kick a short field goal, and the margin was eight when Cincinnati got the ball back with about 11 minutes to go. Burrow and the Bengals went to work, putting together a 13-play, 75-yard drive to tie the game. Two receivers left, one right. Burrow hands it off. Mixon bouncing it wide to the right. Cuts ah, back baby. and takes it into the end zone. Woo. Touchdown, Woo. Bengals. 327 on the clock. Now they will line up and go for two to try to tie this game. The Bengals trying to tie it with a two-point conversion. Burrow catches the shotgun snap. He's back to throw, moving to his left, throws toward the back yeah. of the end zone. Caught yeah. by T. Higgins Woo. on the back line of the end zone. It's a two-point conversion, and the Bengals have tied it with 3.27 to go. The euphoria was short-lived. On the Packers' next play, Aaron Jones ripped off a 57-yard run, setting up a field goal try for the lead with about two minutes to go. This will be a 36-yard try from the left hash. Crosby's kick is up. It no! is no good. No! Crosby missed Woo! from 36 yards. Woo! His streak of 27 consecutive made field goals going back to December 29th, 2019. Wow. 
comes to an end at the best possible time for Cincinnati. The Bengals got the ball and picked up two quick first downs. Then, on third and five at the Green Bay 42, they elected to run the ball and Samaje Pirine got tackled at the 39. It was Evan McPherson's turn to try to win the game. 26 seconds left in regulation. The Bengals will line up and attempt a 57-yard field goal to take the lead. This would tie the franchise record for longest field goal. Huber looks back at McPherson, staring at the rookie kicker, just 22 years old. Now the snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg, Get the in kick there. on its way. Get in it there. hits the upright oh, and bounces to the right. Uh. No good. McPherson's miss gave Rodgers the ball near midfield with 21 seconds to go. He fired a 20-yard bullet to Adams, giving Crosby a second chance to be the hero. Three seconds on the clock. The snap, the kick. It has the distance. It is no, no! good. No! He missed Woo! it wide left. Woo! After making 27 in a row, Crosby has a streak going in the other direction. He's missed two straight, and this game will go to overtime. The Bengals won the toss to begin overtime. Of course they did. But their first play in OT was a disaster. Burrow extends the hands, catches the snap from Hopkins, stands tall in the pocket, short pass, picked off. The Packers are running it back, and the tackle made at the 17. Devondre Campbell had the ball thrown right to him. I'm not even sure who the intended receiver was. Terrible pass by Joe Burrow, and the Packers are in position to win this game. To Burrow's credit, he made the tackle. Had it been a pick six, the Packers would not have needed to call on Crosby for another game-winning field goal try. Here we go. The snap, the kick. Ugh. It's on its way. It is no, no good. good. Oh, my gosh. I don't believe what I have just seen. Mason Crosby can't believe it either. He misses three straight after making 27 in a row. Total disbelief from fans rooting for either team here at Paul Brown Stadium. Let's face it, the Bengals had gotten lucky. Now it was up to them to take advantage of it. A 21-yard pass to Chase moved them into Packers territory, but on third and two at the Green Bay 33, Joe Mixon was stopped short of a first down. So, after three missed field goal tries by Crosby and a miss from 57 yards away by McPherson, the Bengals rookie got another chance to win it from 49 yards out. Huber ready for the snap from Clark Harris. He extends the right hand, catches the ball, puts it down. The kick is on its way. It hits the upright and is no good. Oh, my gosh. Five missed field goals. Unbelievable. Does anybody want to win this football game? After drilling game-winning field goals in each of his first two home games, McPherson failed on two attempts to make it three games in a row. And he was shocked that his overtime try was no good. Honestly, I was celebrating before. Um, the ball, I guess, curved to the left. But for me, what I saw is I struck it really well. Um, and I saw it going right down the middle. So I kind of, I guess you could say I kind of know whenever it's going to go in. And that was one of those moments. And so I was kind of celebrating with, uh, with Kevin um, whenever it, turned, when it hit a hard left. And so I thought there was no chance I was really missing left. Um, if anything, uh, I thought the wind was blowing left or right, and so I, I guess it, that that um, as you could say, the uh, when the ball turned left, 
kind of caught me off guard. And honestly, I thought the refs were playing a game with us whenever they, I saw, I looked down there and they were doing the no good motion. Uh, honestly thought they were playing a game because I, I struggled really well and I was real confident that it was going through. The Packers got the ball at their 39 and two big pass completions by Rodgers gave his teammate of 15 years, Mason Crosby, one more try. A 49-yard try to win it in overtime. Crosby's kick on its way. It is good. And the Green Bay Packers win it 25-22. to Here are Chidabe Awuje and Zach Taylor on a crazy overtime defeat. It's ridiculous, man. I don't want to go through that too many more times, but... Uh... That's what, that, that's what we love. That's what we love the game. You know, um, obviously being in it, you get to feel the raw emotion. Um, but as a fan of the game and uh, a fan of just com competition, you know, you don't want to be in any. You want to be in that position. You want you want to be the ones in a close game and closing it out. That, that thing was a roller coaster. Um, sometimes they didn't know how we ended up in the situation we were in. You know, probably they felt the same way on their sidelines. Uh, but I just told our guys, I know exactly what kind of football team we have now. If there's any questions about what time, what type of fight we have, what type of energy we have, what type of love we have for each other, and uh, and I know that the people that were at the game today, the people that are watching on TV, they 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 should be proud of this team. And it, it's going to come down to some last-second plays, and sometimes we'll make them, sometimes we won't. Um, but this team's going to fight to the end against great teams, great quarterbacks, and uh, I believe in our guys. And this is going to serve us well over the course of the season. The Bengals went toe to toe with a team that's gone 30 and seven in the last two plus seasons. But a loss is a loss. And in the AFC North, you can't afford to lose when a win is in your grasp. Here again are Wuje and Taylor. Personally, I think that was the toughest football game I've been a part of. Just the length, the physicality, the assignment of going against um, a team like that. Uh, so I think we, we're starting to learn about ourselves. Um, it's gonna be a great film to correct. Um, disappointed, but I think everybody's looking in the right direction. We expected to win this game going into it. We expected as it played out. Um, we didn't need a moral victory to show us that, that we're capable of beating great teams in this league. We just want to win them, you know, and put ourselves in better positions. Um, but again, sometimes when it comes down to something like that, um, that's just football. You know, there's, there's a lot of teams that each week walk off the field and they feel like there's just an inch here or there that would have made the difference. And today it just didn't go our way. And, and, uh, Again, it hurts to lose, but we got to pick ourselves up and, and go on the road next week and go go play a great game against Detroit. The winless Lions are next. They fell to 0-5 with a two-point loss in Minnesota. Now time for post-game analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, just when you think you've seen it all, you have not. Five consecutive missed field goals between the end of regulation and overtime before Mason Crosby delivers the game winner. The Packers tried to hand it to the Bengals late, and Cincinnati was not able to capitalize. Yeah, I mean, no one wanted to win that football game. It's in, like, down the stretch. It was crazy. Um, they were all, you know, other than Crosby had one that was, like, what, from 40 yards or something like that or 30, 36 or something. He missed one that was kind of makeable. But 36. Yeah, 36 yarder that he missed. That one surprised me. But all the others, you know, you're talking about – 49 to 55 yard field goals. I mean, they're not uh, they're not real easy makes, but in today's NFL, the kickers are so good. Your expectations are, I mean, shoot, they can 50. That that's like the old 42 yard field goal, 50 yard field goal these days. And I'm telling you, boy, 
I, I commented during the game that both kickers probably wanted to measure the distance between the uprights. They were just just missing, hitting uprights, clanging off of uprights, and whew, just a just a tough tough day. McPherson learned a lot today. I mean, that's a that's a a guy. The kickers tonight will not sleep a wink. There's no question about that. And there's not a whole lot of guys that are going to get great amount of sleep. Nobody's going to sleep eight hours tonight, I can tell you that. They're all going to be, you close your eyes, and literally, Dan, it's unbelievable. I remember it's happening to me. Close my eyes, and my eyeballs became projector lenses. And you were seeing plays that could have gone, changed the outcome of the game. And this is one, I, I can't remember a game that has as many plays in it. You know, when you factor in special teams, offense, defense, it's like there's probably 20 plays that if, if any one of them went the other way, it's a different football game. How about Evan McPherson leaping into the arms of Kevin Huber on his last field goal attempt because he thought it was good. He sees the no good signal and he, he thought they were joking. That's how good he felt about that kick. That thing, it looked like it was dead center. And it kept hooking, hooking, hooking. The amount that that thing hooked down the stretch was unbelievable. And I think that because he kicks it so straight, I think he was stunned. I don't know if it was a breeze. I don't know what it was that took that football. But it moved it from the middle of the uprights to that upright big time in the last 20 yards that it traveled. I mean, Zach Taylor was talking about it uh, in the locker room after the game. He was, he was shocked how much that field goal moved in the final few yards when it was in the air. There were a lot of plays in this game. First drive of the second half, it was third down and two. They threw an incompletion. It was fourth down and two. They went for it. That got wiped out by a penalty. Too many situations in this game where the Bengals could have moved the sticks and failed to do it. Yeah, I thought that their third and short, I mean, at one point in the first half, they were one for seven on third down. Third and one, third and two, third and three, third and four. You know, we're, we're four of the seven attempts on third down and they weren't they weren't converting they weren't keeping the drives alive and I thought that was going to be a big factor obviously when you're playing against number 12 Aaron Rodgers keep drives alive convert on third down you know melt the clock uh you know during the course of the football game might mean one one less possession one less opportunity so I thought two things I thought their third down non-execution in the first half was painful and and I thought the fact that they didn't take advantage of the turnover they got nothing out of it. They got great field position at the, what, 46-yard line or something and went backwards and got nothing and punt the football. And the interception in the first half that Joe Burrow had, Green Bay got three points out of. So, you know, in a game that tied at the end of regulation, 22-22, that the turnover situation in the game, even though the turnovers were even, um, Green Bay came out plus three in terms of points on those turnovers. And in a game like that, that was big. But boy, you look at Aaron Rodgers too, Dan. Again, this guy's like drifting to his left with his feet side by side, sideways, like shuffling to his left, and throws a rope back to his right, you know, to Cobb in a, in a porthole, you know, a tight, tight window. It's like, how the heck does a guy do that? Just shoulder and arm strength, you know, and the accuracy and the ability to throw it with some juice on it. He's, I think, I've, I have yet to see a quarterback that has more arm talent than this guy. I really, this is the, Third time I've seen him in person, and every single time, and at different stages of his career, and every single time he'll make a wow, are you kidding me, throw. Patrick Mahomes is the only guy that comes close for the ability to throw with a wide variety of angles, you know, sidearm, over the top, whatever, and still deliver a good strike. And I still think Rodgers is even better. Yeah, I think at, at, at comparable age, Rodgers and Mahomes are like, 
But this guy's now, he's 39 years old. 37. 37. Don't, don't age him. Okay, 37. <laughs> 37 and, and doing it at such an unbelievable level. And, and that's the thing, you know, Zach Taylor mentioned it in the pregame show, and I think it's worth repeating that, that not only is this guy that type of physical talent still, it's like having an offensive coordinator in your huddle and at the line of scrimmage. And um, Pratt was talking after the game. He said, man, I'm telling you, this guy came to the line of scrimmage in total control, changing plays left and right. Whatever we got in, he had an answer to it. He had the answer to every, every question in the test. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just when you're playing with a guy like that, it just gives you so much confidence. It really does. I mean, man, he just he raises everybody else's boat, you know, in terms of the level of uh, performance because you just feel like you're unbeatable when you're playing with a guy like that. Let's talk about the other quarterback, Joe Burrow. We found out after the game he was taken to a local hospital for a possible throat contusion. I've never heard of that before, bruised throat. Now, we happened to see him walk out of the stadium as we were going into the studio to record this podcast, and he looked okay. I mean, he didn't appear to be in any sort of excruciating pain, but that doesn't sound very pleasant. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of fractured trachea. You know, how, how, is that? how must that feel? You know, I've heard of a damaged Adam's apple and, you know, fractured trachea and things like that. And I guess if he got hit in the throat somehow by somebody's hand or whatever, that, you know, they know it's bruised. They just want to see how badly and if there's any cracks or anything else going on in there. So if you have a, you know, a fractured trachea or something, uh, you know, now it's tough to, I mean, you're going to be guttering, you're going to be uttering guttural noises, you know, for for cadences and stuff. I, you know, that, that, that might be a little bit weird, but... I'm, we're putting the cart way before the horse. Hopefully, it's uh, it's nothing more than, you know, make sure check all the boxes and make sure that, uh, you know, that that he's able to go. How did you think he played? I think he played, you know, okay. I mean, he totally lost track of Campbell. And I asked Zach. I said, was that a case where receiver and quarterback were on different pages? And he goes, I don't really think so. I have to look at the tape to make sure, but he said, you know, I uh, I think he just lost track of the, of the defender. He lost track of Campbell, and um, that, that's the easiest interception Campbell's ever going to have. There's no question about that, but Zach was not expecting the linebacker from the opposite side of the formation to drift, you know, like he did to the middle of the football field like that, and uh, that was obviously a huge play, pivotal play. It seems strange in a game where a receiver on the opposite team had 206 yards to single out somebody in the secondary for having a great game, but Chidabe Awuje continues to show what an excellent signing he was. No question. I mean, he just, he flashed. You know, he jumped off. When they watch the tape, he's going to jump off the tape. Coverage, tackling, the interception was a great play. I mean, he's, he's got a right to that spot on the football field as well. And he turned, he found the ball first. And there was some, you know, chicken fighting going on and all that. But he's, he's in better position. He ran the route better than the receiver did. So there's no call on that. There's no flag on that. And he made a great play. And again, they didn't, the, there was not complimentary football played there. Ouzier makes a hell of a play, gives him the ball, you know, at the 46-yard line, and they get nothing, zero, not even a first down out of the darn thing. So uh, at that point... Complimentary football was an issue, and you know you start the football game off. It takes you till the end of the first quarter to score seven points. Again, these these slow starts. You're, the better team you play against, the more you're going to put yourself behind the eight ball if you don't come out of the gate. You know, in a perfect world, you come out of the gate strong, and then at the end of the football game, you still have enough juice to be physical and finish the thing. You know, with a flourish kind of deal. That's when you're playing really good football. And uh, they're having, you know, frantic finishes and all that sort of thing. 
but they're putting themselves behind the eight ball too much with these slow starts. It's impossible to feel good as a Bengals fan after you lose a game like that, but I'm trying to remember my mindset going into the game. I said that they need to go toe-to-toe, even if they don't win. They need to go toe-to-toe with a team like Green Bay to show that they are legit, that they can be in the hunt for a playoff spot. They did that. It was a game they should have won, though, considering the things that fell into their lap. Yeah, there's no doubt. And when you look at the, the personnel, I'm telling you, this is a, is a huge win for Green Bay because they came in limping and gimping. You know, they, they were like the Johnson & Johnson bandage uh, group. And, uh, and, and they licked those wounds. And I'm telling the offensive line, I think they're coached magnificently. And then you still have to go out and play. And they were taking defensive linemen on with short sets, and they were playing their butts off. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, created and extended plays when they, there was some leakage. I mean, he's, he's great at that. But, but really, I thought that offensive line played more than adequately. I thought they, they showed that they all belonged in the National Football League. And that's the thing, is when your roster, your roster depth, it's not like you fall off a cliff. Now, Bakhtiari, you know, as good a left tackle as there is in the game. You're going to miss a guy like that. But when you have guys that can, you know, are, are more than adequate replacements, you know, it's like, and, and, and they, have, they even lost the replacement to Bakhtiari, and they're still out there operating efficiently. When you have that kind of thing going on, you got a damn good football team. And for them to come in, and I think they've got respect for the Cincinnati Bengals, I think they might even have more respect, or at least as much respect when the game's over, for them to come and travel and win that football game, I think is going to be big for them. And for the Bengals to be in the situation to win it multiple times and not be able to get it done, that one's going to be a tough one to get over. You know, you talk about compartmentalize, amnesia, move on. Easier said than done. You know, this one, it's going to be a a mental and physical challenge to do because they played a lot of minutes in the football game. Green Bay feels a heck of a lot better physically now because they won that game than the Bengals do after losing a game like that that you could have and should have won the football game. The run through the NFC North ends next week. They played the Vikings, the Bears, and the Packers. They've got one team left, the Lions, who are winless after a two-point loss in Minnesota. And you got to beat the Lions. And, but, you know, the Lions, uh, they haven't won a football game, but they've been in a few. And, you know, it's, it, there's no gimmies in the National Football League. And one thing about the Detroit Lions, when you watch tape on the Lions now, they come to play physically. Their head coach is a psycho. Matt Campbell, is a, he's an absolute psycho. So he demands that. So you're going to get that. I mean, when that game's over, it's going to be, ooh, man, when you're in the locker room, it's like, oh, I remember that hit. Oh, yeah, that hit. You're going to have to come out and be physical. And that's going to be the big challenge. You know, after losing the way you lost to the Green Bay Packers, Detroit lost, obviously, a game they could have won and maybe should have won as well. Who's going to be able to bounce back uh, the, the quickest and the best? That might be a big factor in, in who puts a W in the left-hand column next week. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Game Plan Show on Wednesday night from 6 to 8. We'll be at Vince's Other Place. That's a sports bar on Hamilton Ave in Mount Healthy. We'll have lots of giveaways during the commercial breaks. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. It's next-level fantasy football. With Ultimate Bengals, you're in control of your team. Downloaded for free from the App Store and Google Play. Now, tap for this week's fun fact segment where you get to know the person under the pads. 
Time for some fun facts with Riley Reef from Parkston, South Dakota, in the southeast corner of the Mount Rushmore State, population about 1,500. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Parkston and what you love about home. Just the people. Uh, great Midwestern people down to earth. Uh, man, I, I couldn't imagine growing up anywhere else. Uh, still to this day, I got a big following uh, in my hometown, and uh, I owe a lot to a lot of people in that town. And, uh, you know, it's a small town, like you said. A lot of people, <laughs> they know a lot about you, but they're also, that's also a good thing. I mean, people take care of one, uh, one another, and, uh, yeah, I'm real uh, – take a lot of pride in coming from Parkston. Did you grow up with a lot of family nearby? Yeah. Uh, my mom was one of 19, um, <laughs> so family reunions were big, uh, you know, stuff like that, and family's real big to me, and uh, see them quite often, so – I know you love hunting and fishing. Do you have an all-time best hunting and fishing story? You know, there, there's a lot of them that come to mind. Uh, just being out with my dad, you know, my brothers, good friends. Um, some of the funnest memories I have were before high school football games, going out dove hunting. That was hmm. that was always fun. And now that I, uh, you know, didn't have any money when I was younger to have uh, have good hunting dogs. We had dogs, but they weren't really hunting dogs. But uh be able to take my dogs out now and uh, watch them work is, is really a treat. We're doing fun facts with Riley Reef. Your dad was a wrestling coach, and you were an all-time great high school wrestler in South Dakota, 121-1 and with three state titles, and it surely would have been four if not for an injury your senior year. What did that experience and that success do for you? I, I, I credit all my where I'm at now to wrestling. Uh, you know, it was tough physical. I had great coaches, great teammates, and, uh, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't so much the physical. It was uh, the mental aspect of being a wrestler, and I still think that helps me today, and it's carried me to where I'm at. And, uh, you know, just the, the grind, the, you know, never-stop attitude. Parkston is not far from the border of Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa. You, choose to be, you chose to become a Hawkeye. What was the best part of your college experience? My teammates, um, the coaches, winning games. We had a good group of guys, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun at Iowa, and I wouldn't, wouldn't change it one bit. I mean, I'd, I'd do that all over in a heartbeat. We learned from your former Iowa teammate, Mike Daniels, that you started out on the defensive line before they move you to the O-line. How'd you feel about it at the time? I wasn't too happy. I, when I first arrived, I, I got the number 77. It was in my locker, and... Uh, I was kind of mad because I, I was like, that's not a defensive lineman number. Um, no, it's one of my favorite numbers. Uh, but, you know, it was obviously it worked out for the best. And, uh, you know, they seen something in me. And the rest is history. I, I used to think offensive linemen were slow, fat, and lazy. And now I think, I mean, being around them, they're the best on the team. Man, they're fun. They're, you know, we're tight-knit. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's no position group like it. No position group that's more close-knit than the O-line. It's a unique fraternity. What is it about you guys together that clicks so much? Yeah, you, you just get a bunch of guys that, that depend on one, uh, each other. And, uh, you know, if, if one guy has a really good game and one guy has a really bad game, it's, I mean, it's, your, your judge has won. And, uh, you know, that's just it's, uh, it's a bond, right? Um, I, I don't really know how to how to phrase it, but uh, it's pretty special being a part of an offensive line room, that's for sure. 
We're doing fun facts with Riley Reef. So they gave you the number 77 as a dead ringer that you were going to be an O-lineman, and it obviously did work out. You became a first-round draft pick. Describe your draft experience. You know, I, I, I left school a year early. Um, you know, trained at Iowa with Coach Doyle. And um, the combine, you know, all that stuff, it was it was a lot. Um, but, um, you know, I was, I was very thankful for the Detroit Lions organization for drafting me. And the, the Ford family had a great five years there and then four in Minnesota. And now, now I'm here and, uh, you know, I'm awfully honored to, to be in this league. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to get in this league and it's hard to stay in this league. So, uh, you know, hats off to a lot of good teammates, coaches, and, uh, you know, family for support. During those four years in Minnesota, your head coach was Mike Zimmer. He recently called you one of his favorite guys of all time and said he was willing to share the codes to his hunting lodge and even open up the fridge uh, if you wanted to drink his beer. Describe that relationship. I, I love Zim. Zim, uh, you know, he's tough. He's, he's a wrestler, you know, at heart. And, uh, you know, he, he wanted the best out of us. And every day, you know, he might have been hard on us, but... You know, he, he knew what had to be done. Zim's a great coach. Everybody knows that. Uh, and I, I really appreciate him. Uh, you know, we had some good years there. And, uh, you know, yeah, I got a lot of respect for him. During training camp, offensive line coach Frank Pollock asked Anthony Munoz and Dave Lapham to address the offensive lineman after practice one day. And you genuinely seemed almost awestruck. Was that the case? Absolutely. Um, you know, any guys that have played before me, uh, I, know, I know what they did. They set a foundation. Uh, you know, it goes back. The, you know, the, the X's and O's might change a little bit, but the technique and stuff, I mean, I mean it's, it's evolving, but they, they set the foundation on how offensive linemen, you know, how they work, how they do this stuff. And, uh, you know, to pick their brain or listen to them talk, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. I love talking to any offensive lineman. You know, they get it. They know. They know how bad it sucks sometimes. So, you know, you just appreciate when guys take time out of their day to, you know, give us a few pointers. All right. A few wild card questions for Riley Reef. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport? I'd probably say Tim Brown from the Oakland Raiders. I, I, I remember him. I had I got one of his cards when I was younger. And, uh, you know, I, I, it come to – I liked him at the time, but I come to respect him even more once you get older and you're in this professional, you know, probably be him. That one definitely caught me off guard. I thought you might go with Dan Gable. Yeah, I like Dan, Dan too. <laughs> Is there anything you like to splurge on? Uh, probably hunting and fishing stuff. Um, you mentioned your hunting dogs. Are they expensive? No, I, I, I mean, yeah, they are. The, the prices are going up on dogs nowadays, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, uh, they're bred uh, locally around South Dakota and just find a good pedigree. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, whoever it might be, who would that person be? Maybe Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, you know, he, he liked to hunt fish, and uh, yeah, I, th I think he's an interesting character. Maybe him. All right. You are the first person to ever go with Teddy Roosevelt to answer that question. I love it. All right, last thing, and now that you mentioned the Tim Brown thing, this all makes sense because I read that as a kid you were a Raiders fan because of the mailman. Can you explain? Yeah, well, my dad was a Raiders fan too, and we'd always get the – my mom was a Vikings fan, so we'd get the Vikings Vikings game, but then we'd usually get a uh, West Coast game. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'd get catch Raiders on, and 
that's how I became a Raiders fan. Um, and the mailman was always harping on me about the Raiders too. But yeah, um, I just like the like the atmosphere that I've seen on TV. I, I've never been to a game there. I played there, but uh, you know, I just like the <laughs> you know the fans and the they were tough. They were they were physical and stuff like that. I appreciated that. You'd fit in in the black hole. I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> you don't have to put on all the makeup. You just have to be rowdy. In any case, I really appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of this year. It's great to have you on the team. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.